at two points during the presentation, um, I will pause for those of you who are seeking uh, credit for CAI. Um, we, we have been asked to provide um, some codes to uh, to the present to the to the participants and then at the end of the presentation i'll need you to email those codes uh, to terry and and she can provide you with that certificate of, of completion for your credit um, for today's class um, so i'll make it very clear i'm not going to just slip it in there we, we will pause and, and give you every opportunity to write down that code if, if you need to so all right well let's uh let's jump in uh to this to this presentation today um, we, we decided as, as a firm to, in, in light of the, of the recent change in the law um, in Arizona, um, and, and, and quite frankly, in, in light of, of some questions that, um, that I've been receiving and, and other attorneys in our office have been receiving, we thought it would be good to, to try to tackle this issue of marijuana. And, and it kind of uh, fits into that broader issue that I think in any of you who are living in a condominium or a townhome with shared walls or managing one of those communities uh, you're probably presented with that issue of smoke smoking um, smells going in and out of people's units and 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 so we are going to talk a little bit about that that kind of opens up the discussion to a more broad uh, discussion of, of what can we do um, with with that and, and i think marijuana just kind of jumps right into that into that conversation so um, I am, I, full disclosure, I'm probably the last person on the earth who uh, you would want or who would have the information about marijuana. Um, I, I am not an expert in this area, um, but, but I, do, I do feel that it's important to, to bring this up uh, for community associations um, because I, I, I do foresee these, these issues coming into your communities um, from, from various owners. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna tackle today. Let me go to my next slide here. Uh, we're gonna go over this new law uh, that that has made recreational marijuana use uh, legal here in Arizona. We're gonna talk about some of the exceptions, some of the things you to be aware of. Now I have asked Terry to provide you with um, an actual copy of the bill. If if you are um, kind of that glutton for punishment, and you want to try to read all the the whole bill. Have at it. Um, it's 16 pages, and, and we're not going to talk about more than maybe two or three pages of it uh, today. Um, but you should have that. If you don't, just send, send Terry a quick message, and she can try to email that to you if you want to follow along. Um, there's also a handout that's coming with this presentation just for, for future reference. So we're going to talk about the new law, um, and then that will segue into kind of a more specific discussion about how that's going to impact potentially your communities. Um, your roles as board members or managers, um, and and what are some of the options that you might have to address this if it becomes a problem in your community, and some other legal concerns, including a, a discussion on fair housing. And then there'll be a time at the end for any questions or, or uh, further discussion. So um, before we jump into the state law, I want to make it clear uh, that um, the federal law has not changed. There's still what's called the Controlled Substance Act. Marijuana is still in that um, and listed as, as, as one of those controlled substances. Um, so on, on the federal level, um, it, it still is technically illegal. Now, whether or not the federal government enforces that, I know I think the, the, I think the Obama administration, if I remember reading, uh, they, they had made a decision at some point that they weren't really going to enforce that too strictly. I can't remember what, what happened during the Trump administration. I don't know, but um, on the books, it's still on the books on, under the federal laws. Um, but as you know, more and more states have now kind of taken it upon themselves to, to enact state laws, uh, kind of governing at that local level um, to, in addressing this issue. Um, so we have what's called the Smart and Safe Arizona Act. That's the... Uh, <laughs> I laugh when I read that, but that, that, that is the title they gave this bill and, um, and this new law that was came out of Proposition 207. Um, now there is a video, I'm, I'm not gonna, we're not gonna watch this video. I've decided, I'm, I'm just gonna kind of move past that. It, it's a video that the channel, channel 12 released when, um, actually, you know what, we'll watch a little bit of it. 
Arizona going green. Voters hashing it out, passing Prop 207, legalizing recreational marijuana for anyone 21 and up, allowing Arizonans to possess up to one ounce and grow up to six plants. We are so excited for the community. Alan Marconi of Full Flower Wellness Center, a dispensary in Tempe and Sun City, says excited Arizonans are already showing up hoping to buy. But Marconi says they need to slow their roll. We are an instant gratification type society. So when we hear that something passes, we want to, you know, get our hands on it right away. So it will be a little bit more time. Arizona's Department of Health Services will start getting applications for dispensaries in January. So to be blunt, experts say March is the earliest buyers without medical marijuana cards can purchase pot. This 17-page initiative is like a framework. The proposition allowing for one dispensary for every 10 pharmacies across the state. After hashing out the numbers, that means because there are already 120 existing dispensaries, there's room for only about 10 more licenses. There's no room for additional facilities to be built, except for a small provision of the law, which allows for 26 social equity licenses to be issued by DHS. Prop 207 also allowing for those convicted of certain weed-related crimes to petition for their record to be expunged starting in July of 2021. Experts saying the 16% tax is one of the high points, estimating up to $300 million in new revenue every year, dollars that will go toward community colleges and police and fire departments. All in all, it's a great victory. And as for your boss, they call the shots. They can still discriminate and drug test. Bianca Bono, 12 News. I like that last part there, because um, that, that is going to be kind of what we what we rely on as associations um, in, in dealing with this. But if, if you look at the bill itself um, in, in this, from that proposition, um, it is it is kind of interesting. The first part um, of, of the of the bill talks about all the money I wasn't aware of this, but but before this bill went into into effect, there there was actually a, a fund that had been set up when they made mar medical marijuana legal uh, years ago, and part of this bill is they're now transferring um, close to forty million dollars from that fund into into various um, uh, organizations, um, Arizona Teachers Academy, uh, Department of Health Services got a bunch of money when this when this new bill passed. Just a little side note there, but the, the actual meat of of the bill that we want to focus on, and I'm just looking down at the bill to make sure I don't I don't miss anything. It's it's kind of interesting too. If, as those of you who are familiar with statutes, um, a lot of the statutes will have a, a small definition section in, in the beginning. This has a, a almost two pages of of defined terms that are used throughout uh, throughout the bill, um, which I thought was interesting. But the the, the key points of this bill. Um, have to do with with this ability to uh, to use marijuana now on a recreational level. I don't have a screen that goes over the details, but you should have received a handout from us as well that, that kind of goes over it. Um, so anyone who's 21 and over um, is now uh, allowed to possess, consume, purchase, process, and manufacture um, or transport one ounce or less of marijuana. Now, I don't know exactly what that equates to as far as a visual of, of one ounce, but, but they, they are allowed to up to one ounce um, to, to do that. In addition, um, they, they're allowed to possess up to six marijuana plants um, for possession, transportation, cultivation, and processing um, for use at the individual's primary residence. Um, so that's where it kind of brings us in, into, into the conversation. Now we're, we're talking about them doing it at home. Um, the law also says that um, it says they can possess, process, and manufacture the marijuana produced by the plants on the premises, whether the marijuana plants were grown, um, if, if the following apply. No more than 12 plants are produced at a single residence where two or more individuals of at least 21 years of age reside. Um, so there's these three requirements here if they're going to do it at home. Um, there's that first one, two or more individuals residing at 21. Cultivation takes place within a closet, a room, a greenhouse, or other enclosed area on the grounds of the residence, equipped with a lock or other security device to prevent access to minors. And then the cultivation takes place in an area where the marijuana plants are not visible from public view 
without the use of binoculars, aircraft, or other optical aids. Um, so owners have, have the, the legal right now to, to, to use marijuana on their property and, and to cultivate and grow marijuana on their property with, the, with these certain, as long as these certain conditions are met. But some of the stuff that kind of stuck, sticks out to me as far as associations are concerned, uh, one is obviously the activity that's going to be taking place, could be taking place in, in owner, on owner's property. But these conditions that have to be met, that they, they're going to have this right to do it in a, in a greenhouse or, or in some other enclosed area as long as it's not visible. You know, we talk about a lot of our documents have that defined term of visible from neighboring property. And I, I immediately thought of that when I, when I read this. Um, but, you know, you have, you have these conditions that owners are going to have to meet uh, to, to not be subject to some sort of a penalty um, under the law. There's also language in this law about transferring um, marijuana between individuals that they're allowed to, to basically trade the marijuana, you can't sell it. There can be no enumeration, uh, remuner, remuneration, I should say. And there should be no exchange of money um, for, for the transferring of the marijuana. And um, going into the next, the, the, the part that I think we really are, are, concerned, are concerned about is that the act does not prohibit a private entity that controls or owns property from prohibiting or regulating conduct otherwise allowed by this act. So there's very clear language in this bill that, that, that makes it so that associations are still able to control what takes place on their property that they either own in a planned community or that they control in, in a condominium setting. Um, and it also says that this law does not permit owners from, from smoking marijuana in a public place or an open space, which is defined in the, in, in the act. So those last two things I think are the real important ones for, for associations um, in, in that we, we, we haven't lost control of, of that. So, you know, part of me in, in preparing this presentation, um, you know, this, this may not be something that, that really affects your community because you may already have rules in place or, or restrictions in your documents that, that already control this. And, and you may already have a pretty strict no smoking policy and, and none of that's going to change. You're still gonna be able to, to go forward with that policy. And, and now it would include marijuana smoke. Um, now the, the defined, let me just see something here. The defined term, um, it says smoking marijuana in public, but smoke, is actually defined as inhale, exhale, burn, or carry or possess any lighted marijuana. Um, so, so you have the other thing to consider though, is marijuana comes in different forms. Um, the cannabis, you, you have sometimes referred to as edibles or other, other types of, of marijuana um, that, that comes into play here. But as far as the smoking is concerned, that's what we're focusing on today is that you still have that ability to control that, that activity. <clears throat> So that, that is kind of in a nutshell, the, the new law um, that, that's in place. Um, there, like I said, there, there are a whole bunch of other pages um, with this act that go into the different violations, penalties, um, licensing requirements for dispensaries, things like that, that we um, probably aren't gonna be too concerned with as an association. Um, I, I guess you could, I guess there might be a situation if you have a commercial condo setting um, you might have to have a dispensary and, and there might be something to worry about there. But for, for the most part, it's the individual behavior that, that we're focusing on. Um, you may want to catch up on the PowerPoint. You're still on the second slide, I think. Is, am, I, am I on the video slide here? Arizona, go yes. Free. Yeah, I know. That's where I want to be. Sorry about that. So, so... And, I, and Terry's right, I could have jumped forward to this next one. So the, the kind of the meat of this presentation is, is I want to get into kind of the, the application of this. What, what does it mean? What, how is it going to affect us? And more importantly, what can you as a board member or as a manager in, in educating your boards, what can associations do uh, to, to enforce against this issue? We do have a couple questions. Yes. 
The first one is, would this have to be in the CCNRs or can the board make a resolution or rule? Perfect question. Um, you, you, uh, you beat me to the punch. It's, if you could hold off on that one, I, I will answer that question in I think two slides. Okay. Uh, so that's, that's, a, that's, where, that's right where we're headed. And the second one was smoking in someone's backyard versus in common areas. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, well, is that is the question whether whether just kind of comparing the two? It, that's all it says. Okay. All right. Well, we'll talk about that as well um, in, in in I think another another slide or two, because part of this discussion here, as I say on here, the association's ability to address issues and enforce the documents. This, this goes to a, I wanna just quickly talk a, more about kind of the broader uh, topic of enforcement. Um, as, as all of you I sure, I'm sure are familiar, uh, your, your, your ability to enforce is, is governed by this, the, the governing documents and, and, the, and the legal authority that's presented in there, as well as the, the statutes, uh, the Planned Community Act, Condominium Act. The enforcement in those statutes is typically limited to the ability to impose fines for violations of the documents. But it all stems from the documents because the documents do two things. First, the documents will establish what you can and can't do in your community, on your property, in your backyard, in your house, in your unit. That's all spelled out in your CCNRs and, and, and your rules and regulations or your design guidelines. You know, all those governing documents are gonna spell out what, what restrictions are there. And and then the other thing that the, that the documents do is then it gives you the right, and this kind of segues into the bylaws as well. You might have the authority as a board um, that might be found in your bylaws, but you, you, would, um, you would look to those documents to, to figure out what options you have to, to actually enforce those restrictions. Um, just saw a chat here pop up. So the... Uh, the thing you first need to look at when, when we're dealing with this is what, what do our documents currently say? What, what is it that, that is restricted in our community? And you, I, I, will, I will be willing to bet that almost every set of documents makes zero mention about marijuana. I don't think I've read a set of CCNRs that specifically calls out marijuana. It, it, it most, as you know, most CCNRs give the more broad terms of, of activity. You might have language that talks about smoking, um, if you are a non-smoking community. Um, but you, you probably are going to need to look to, to other sections of your documents, such as the, the nuisance section or some sort of uh, odor or, or smell or activity that disrupts the quiet enjoyment of, of someone else's uh, use of their mm -hmm. property. That, that's the most common provision. You would also look towards the end of your CCNRs in the enforcement section. Sometimes it's titled enforcement and see what rights you have as an association in enforcing your documents. You know, you'll want to look to see if you have the, the duty to enforce all, all violations, or if you just have the right to enforce as you deem appropriate as a board. Um, that's a very important distinction in the enforcement provisions, this duty versus an obligation and right, the duty versus a right to do it. Um, so that, that's kind of where the, the, the first step in this analysis is that as a board, as a community manager, you need to look at those documents, know where you stand. Um, because as this issue starts to present itself in your community, assuming that it does, you need to know where you stand so that you know how to act. And we're going to get into this. You may, you may want to or you may need to um, take the position that, hey, we need to amend our, our documents. We need to change what it says in our CCNRs or what it says in our rules uh, to allow us to, to be better equipped to handle uh, this, this issue. So along those lines, like I mentioned before, I'm gonna go to the next slide here. Um, most, of, most of your documents, I, I, uh, I haven't found very many that don't have this. Most documents in your use restrictions will have a section that deals with a nuisance and it will say something to the effect of no, no loud noise, no odor, uh, no activity, or, or any other activity that would, that would be deemed a nuisance as determined by the board shall be allowed to, to occur on the property or something along those lines. Um, 
the question that, that is presented to me quite often because I'll, I'll get a board member that calls me up or a manager and say, hey, this is going on. We think it's a nuisance. There's kind of that $25,000 question of, of what is a nuisance? When, when does something become a nuisance? Um, it, it's, it, it varies depending on the state you're in, but here in Arizona, um, there isn't a whole lot of case law on what's called a private nuisance. That would be an action taken by one homeowner against another for interfering on the property. But there's kind of a general idea I want to give you of, of the legal requirements that, that a court would look at that, that attorneys and, and the clients would have to prove to establish a nuisance. Um, so a, a nuisance is something that, re, that, re, that, um, that adversely affects or interferes with a neighboring owner's use of their property. That's the first key is you have someone who owns property and there's something going on on, on a neighboring property that interferes with that person's use of their property. And then the, the analysis is the activity or the occurrence has to be substantial, it has to be continuous, and it has to be unreasonable. Now, those are words I know if you've attended any attorney or law firm class, that whenever the word reasonable is presented, kind of throw your hands up, I'm not quite sure how to define that. But um, that's what the court looks to. And, and if you drill down into some of those factors, other things that the courts will look at will be how offensive is the activity? Um, how in, what, what kind of, what's the inconvenience level that's being presented? And, and you'll also wanna see what kind of damage has been suffered. Is there measurable health damage that, that the person has suffered or had, did they have to move out, live somewhere else? Um, there's a lot of factors that go into that. So kind of the, the takeaway on the nuisance is um, just because you think it's a nuisance, clearly it doesn't make it a nuisance. And, and just because one person might be a little annoyed by something that their neighbor is doing may not rise to the level of a legal nuisance where there's actionable, it's, it's a, an actionable claim uh, that can be made. So I know we throw that word around a lot in this industry. I've, I've written dozens of, of cease and desist letters and enforcement demand letters claiming that whatever's ha happening on the property is a nuisance. But I haven't had to take any of those to court and have a judge agree with me that it is a nuisance. Most people just comply or <clears throat> it just kind of resolves itself. Um, just know though that if, this, if, if there's an action that needs to be taken in court, there is a kind of a high standard that's going to have to be proved. <clears throat> for it to, to be established as a nuisance. So um, two, two cases I actually read about, um, I read about this morning, they're, they're not in Arizona, but it's kind of interesting because the question that I presented up there is, <clears throat> is secondhand smoke considered a nuisance? I didn't find any cases in Arizona. If any of you are familiar with one, please let me know. Um, but I did see a case out of, out of Florida where a, a non-smoking resident, um, actually this, was, this wasn't an association bringing a claim, this, this owner actually took her neighbor to court <clears throat> over, the smell, the, over the smoke that was coming into her, uh, into her condo um, from, from her neighbor. And she, she, the, the lawsuit that she filed, she alleged uh, that it was a nuisance. She also alleged that the owner's smoke was trespassing onto her property. Um, and that it was affecting her quiet enjoyment of the property. And the court in, in Florida agreed with her that, that the secondhand smoke was a private nuisance and, and awarded her $1,000 for her damages. <clears throat> in a case in Boston recently, there was, this is a kind of a different setting, but it was, uh, it's still a, it's still, I think, appropriate. The, um, a, a couple was, was evicted from their unit um, for, for the smoke and the same sort of analysis uh, took place that um, the smell that was created to all these surrounding units was a nuisance and, and they, they were in violation of their lease agreement and, and they were able to be evicted over it. So <clears throat> I know that's only two, that's a small sample, um, but I've read other places where um, in, in some states, like in California, secondhand smoke is considered a toxic, um, a toxic contaminant and it's in their statute in, in, and in Utah tobacco smoke has been written in as a private nuisance in, in their laws. <clears throat> now, Arizona doesn't have anything similar to that. They have the Smoke Free Act, which, but I don't think it goes that far as to, as to define smoke as a nuisance per se. Um, but I think everything is, has been trending this way for years. Um, the, the health impact of secondhand smoke, whether it's marijuana or tobacco, 
um, both of them have negative health um, um, repercussions that, that, I, that I think most courts would agree that, that a secondhand smoke would be a nuisance. Now, as I said before, there's, there are a lot of facts that have to be established. There's factors, there's, there's things that are gonna have to be considered. Um, but that nuisance language that's in your CCNRs, I think could be a pretty powerful tool um, when it comes to smoking and, and, and concerns that are raised um, in a community or mainly in a condo. It's, it's probably not as strong of an argument in a plant community, but in the condo setting where everyone is on top of each other, um, it, it, it is gonna be a stronger claim for you. Now let me take a break here for those of you who are um, seeking CLE credit just to have your ears uh, perked up here and, and write down the number 420. And then I'm sure you can understand why I chose that number. Um, just trying to be a little humorous but 420 is the first code uh, for your CLA credit that you can email to Terry after the class. <clears throat> All right. Now that uh, when we're talking about enforcing, like I mentioned, this the nuisance language is probably going to be one of the only tools you have currently in your documents um, to, to try to address this issue that comes up. And, and I don't know how many, I, I, if we were in person, I would probably ask for a show of hands of, of how many, um, I would have started first by asking how many of you are, are in condominiums or close quarters. But I'd also be curious, you know, how many of you um, have experienced this this problem in your community with smoking, not not necessarily marijuana, um, but just smoking in general and and, and the problems that come with it. Um, I, I know we, I, I think I have at least one or two projects on my desk right now that deal with this, um, but I don't think it's uncommon in, in, in those settings. So. But you have this nuisance language, and and uh, you, you should be able to rely on that um, to 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 try to address it. Now there are other things that we can do, and and that's what I want to get into next is your, your documents. Um, before I go to this slide here, your documents um, may be lacking in information, um, and you may not have that that proper authority. Now. Before I jump into some of these revisions, let's let's make sure we understand the two two main documents that we're dealing with here. Um, you have your CCNRs, which, as as everyone knows, the CCNRs. What's the main purpose of the CCNRs? Well, it's to control what 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 uh, activity takes place on the property. It's it's a document that's attached to the property. It runs with the land. When when you sell your house, no matter how hard you try, you can't get rid of your CCNRs on your own. They go with you. And so the new owner buys buys a home and they're subject to whatever's in your CCNRs. Now, when it comes to rules, that, that, that's gonna be your other document that we're gonna talk about. Um, what, what are rules? Well, rules are, are a creation or kind of a, of, a, of a side document that arise out of your CCNRs. Most of your CCNRs will have a section, um, usually around article four, five, or six that, that talks about the associations ability and authority to create rules and to amend those rules. It's not something that has to be sent out to the homeowners. But you have to be very careful with your rules because your rules can be limited in their in their scope. Your your CCNRs may say that you have the authority to create rules that govern your common area. Um, and that's it. It may just say that you have the authority to govern the common elements in a condominium. Or the rules may say that you have that you have the ability to create rules that govern the entire property, with a defined term of property being the entire community. Um, and and that that's that's the most broad that's the broadest language that that there is. And and that can be that can be good when it comes to something like this. Is that you could just through through a set of rules, you might be able to in, impose new restrictions um, on certain activity. Whatever you decide to do with this issue, I, I would recommend that you talk to your your attorney, whoever is representing your community, um, and and walk walk through it with the attorney because the last thing you want to do is to impose some restriction that maybe you didn't have the right to do, and then you start enforcing it, and and it can create a whole bunch of problems. So, um, just kind of on on that take just take that away from from this presentation that that. Uh, CCNRs and rules are the documents we're going to be talking about, but um, if you wanted to use the rules, 
Um, just make sure you have have your attorney helping you with that um, because it, it can get a little tricky. <clears throat> so on these next couple slides, <clears throat> excuse me, we're gonna talk about some, I'm gonna give you some ideas <clears throat> that you might consider, um, some language, some provisions that, that if your documents don't have this right now, uh, you might you might consider it if, if this really is a problem. Um, now keep in mind, like I said before, you might be restricted in the ability to put some of this in place. Um, if it is a CCNR requirement, as, as most of you I'm sure know, that, that is not an easy thing to do. And in some cases it may be almost impossible if, if you're in a condominium and we'll talk about that. Um, but this is just some ideas to maybe to consider if this if your documents are, are old or, or need to be updated to address new concerns. So <clears throat> the first one we'll talk about is, 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 is imposing some sort of a ban on all forms of smoking. This is enforceable, um, but it has to be done properly and it might be limited in kind of the location and the scope of, of the ban. Um, I have, I've had many clients that are condominiums um, come to me and ask how you know where can we ban smoking? What can we do? And 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 like a lot of attorneys will tell you, it depends. Depends on what your documents say. Um, but your documents, if if they're written correctly and 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 properly um, enacted, they they can put certain bans on on smoking in in all kinds of locations. Um, you, I have read of. I don't know that I have. Um, any clients that are condominiums that have an outright ban of smoking inside the units. Um, if, if any of you have that, I'd love to hear it um, and to see how that how that works and, and what kind of problems that you've had. Um, I'm not aware of, of any of my clients that have a 100% ban on smoking anywhere in the community. Most most of, of my clients will come to me and say, you know, we, we'd like to ban smoking um, because we're getting these complaints that homeowners uh, their neighbors are, are causing problems and and so we'll limit the we'll try to to restrict the smoking on the limited common elements which would be the balconies and the porches now with limited common elements a lot of your documents will say that owners have the exclusive right to use a limited common element subject to any rules that the the association creates for those common elements so with, yes Natasha says that they have a hundred percent ban on medical slash non-medical marijuana in their community. Ooh. Natasha, can you uh, hop off mute and we can chat for a minute here? Absolutely. Yes. Are you guys able to hear me? So in our rules and regulations, it actually is outlined on page two of our smoking medical marijuana pursuant to the provisions of Arizona Medical Marijuana Act and its associated regulations. Owners, their residents, tenants, or guests shall be prohibited from smoking marijuana, whether or not such marijuana is for medical purposes and allowed under the Arizona Medical Marijuana Act on any portion of the association's common elements, whether in open space or in enclosed space at any time. Furthermore, owners, their residents, tenants, or guests shall be prohibited from smoking marijuana on any open space of their unit from which smoke can carry beyond the drifts of that unit, including but not limited to any balcony or patio. So, so if, if they have their doors closed in their unit, they're, they're okay as long as it doesn't seep out? It seems like that's how it's going. Yeah. And that's actually why I'm attending, because we've got somebody who's smoking indoors, but it's going through the vents into yeah. other units. Yeah, and that's, and that's, uh, that, that's the big issue is the, is the ventilation. That seems like where, that's where people complain is that it seeps through the, the systems. Um, well, that's interesting. I, I, uh, I'd be curious, I mean, that that rule, the way you read it, was I mean clearly created a couple of years ago when, when medical marijuana was the issue, and now that that recreational marijuana is legal, um, sounds like that may need to be revised a little bit. That's why I'm here. If you want to capture that, and and I would that's that's interesting too that the uh, um, just again that goes to my point of your I don't I don't know what your CCNR say, but I'm sure that they have some pretty broad rulemaking authority that allows you to to impose a rule that like what you just read. And that's great if you have that. Um, my, my, my suggestion, Tasha, would be to, to talk to your attorney and see if that, how that can be revised in, in light of this new, um, this new law. It probably needs to be, uh, you need to maybe just take out the word medical um, and, and make it more broad. Um, but as far as the inside of the unit, um, if, if, 
if the rule doesn't cover that right now, the, I mean, you could, if, if the document, like I said, if the documents allow for rules to affect the, the use of a unit, then you might be able to do it. Now I say the word might because in a condominium setting, this is where it gets really difficult for us, is that um, in, so Arizona revised statute 33-1227 is, is the statute that governs condominiums and amending their CCNRs. And in subsection D of that statute, it, it talks about specific, I think there are five, four or five amendments to your CCNRs that if you do that, it will trigger a, a requirement of 100% approval of your owners. And one of those, one of those amendments is if you're going to amend your CCNRs that, and, and if the amendment changes the way in which a unit may be used, um, that will require 100% of your owners. So, so for, for Natasha's example, if, if, they, if they had to amend their CCNRs to try to address this, because the rules maybe weren't as broad, if they really wanted to clamp down on the, in, in the interior use of, of smoking uh, or of marijuana, they'd have to get 100% of their owners to, to sign off on that amendment. And I've never seen that happen. Um, even if your association was, was 20 units big, you probably still have one holdout that would prevent your 100%. Um, it, it's possible, but uh, it, it just, just realize that in, in the condominium setting, amending your CCNRs for this issue is going to be nearly impossible because it will require 100%. So, um, that, that, so that kind of how I wanted to, to end that discussion on banning smoking is that it can be done um, and Natasha just gave a great example of, of how smoking can be banned. I, one of the questions before I think was about a resolution or, a, or an amendment or a rule. Um, again, that will depend on your documents. I, I have uh, the most recent one I did was a, a, a rule uh, through the rulemaking authority that we imposed a smoking ban on, on patios um, as a limited common element because the documents allowed us to do that. So we didn't have to amend anything. It was just through a, a rule and, and a resolution of the board. So um, you just have to, to take a look at your documents and see what they say. Now, some of the other language you might consider is, is banning all forms of cannabis. Um, just, just an outright ban on, on that material and, and, and the use of it. Now that could be a little more difficult because the law says they can have it, um, but it, it's, this, it's this constant struggle that, or battle that the associations have between what the laws say and what we can do with our private property under the documents. And, and as, you, as you all know, documents can be more strict than, than what the law might say. And, and so I think if the documents allow for it, certain bans on, on, on activity um, would be defensible. Now, if it's a rule, remember rules have to be reasonable when, whenever you create a rule. And so this, now that the law allows for this type of activity, um, you're going to need some other support to say that this is a reasonable rule. And, if, and, and that what I'm thinking of is just kind of the negative impact of the activity. Lots of homeowners complaining about the smell, um, just, just kind of the blight on the community, something like that that's, that's measurable uh, that, that might counter the, the argument that it's legal. And so it would be unreasonable to, to ban some sort of legal activity. Um, but but that's, that's the struggle I think that we're going to have in, in trying to, to enforce this is, is that 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 battle there on that issue um you might if you don't want to ban all forms of cannabis you might just uh, ban certain types um may, maybe because because really when it comes down to it i think that the real problem here is the smoke and and so if you, if you wanted to limit it to just the, the smoke the smokable kind uh, may, maybe you do that um you could you could place a ban on the growth of marijuana um, for those condominiums, and I focus a lot on condominiums because that's that's where this uh, I think this issue is more prevalent. But some condominiums, you might have uh, shared utilities, um, electrical, electric water, where the association's assessments are paying that for the whole building. And even if it's just six plants inside of a condominium unit, I, I don't know how you grow marijuana, but but I've seen pictures and and seen movies where. You know, lights and lots of water are used, and and it could drive up the the electric bill. So if your if your units aren't separately metered, um, you could be you could see a spike in that bill that could be directly attributed to that. Um, so 
uh, you might you might be able to through through the proper channels um, of your documents um, be able to ban that type of activity uh, because of that. Um, sale of marijuana or legal activity again it's 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 restricting the just like documents do you, documents can restrict certain activity um, in in the community and so you might you might consider something like that um, for those two now this this one here in the bottom left the banning plants or structures I, I was i was thinking of that this morning that you know all, a lot of plant communities have uh have a certain type of of um allowable plant list, you know, what, what, what kind of plants can we plant? Um, so I, I, I can't imagine what people aren't going to be planting a bunch of plants in their front yard because it, it as the law said, um, it, it can't be visible um, from, from the neighbors. So you're probably not going to have to worry too much about that, but you might consider it, the putting, putting that on the banned plant list. Um, structures, when I, when I mentioned structures, I'm thinking of, of the greenhouses that are mentioned um, in, in the law, um, the, in the actual statute. Um, and that would go towards your what, what are your design guidelines say right now for your plant communities, what kind of, of structures are allowed. And, and that might be something where you need to go back to the drawing board as a board and maybe think of this type of situation, do we need to expand the 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 definition of, of the type of structures that we're not going to allow in the community. Just to, to be proactive or maybe you, you think this is coming. Uh, so there, there's ways you might be able to handle that. Um, through through your guidelines as well. So uh, the, the last the last thing to look at, and this this goes towards more of a broad discussion of what what do your documents say as far as rulemaking authority. Um, I have amended various sets of CCNRs to to um, one of the things that I identified in my review of the document was that your rulemaking authority was was pretty poor, and let's 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 beef that up. Let's give you some good rulemaking authority. To help you maintain control of your community without having to take this to the owners for a CCNR amendment every time. Quentin, yes, um, there's there's questions about focusing on the smoking aspect, um, but there are edibles and other forms that also may be used in a common area or limited common area that they would not be aware of. Mm -hmm. And and then another person asked, what would the liability be if someone becomes belligerent or has an accident in a common area or pool area after using edibles. Yeah, so so the without question, the associations have the right to control what happens on the common property. So a lot of the stuff where I'm kind of maybe hesitating on certain bands or, or language, um, my mindset has been more towards the units. Um, and, and I apologize for that. I should have mentioned the common elements a little more common areas. Uh, especially common areas where association has 100% control. You, you want to, if you put in the rules that you want to see. So if you, if you're concerned about the edibles, about the, any types of marijuana, then just put an outright ban on it. You have that right uh, to create those rules. And that would be a rulemaking thing that, that wouldn't have to be an amendment to your CCNRs. Um, you have that right to create rules on your common area. Um, so you could do that. And, and the, the liability question is a great one. Um, if, if someone does become belligerent or someone is, is, is high on, on marijuana and, and comes onto the property, I mean, that's, that's why you want to have those protections in place. Um, it might be a question that you want to talk to your insurance adjuster about, you know, as far as coverage is concerned. Um, but, but there could be, if, if you don't have, you know, prohibitions in place, um, you are liable for the activity that occurs on the common area. And, and so you could, there could be some sort of liability, depending on what happens, what the cause was, um, that there could be some, some liability there. So now you, you put these rules in place, like, like, like the, one of the questions said, it might be in, impossible to know if someone's actually violating that rule. Um, but part of the point is to have that rule in place so that you have that protection, that like, we, we're making that effort to, to prohibit this activity. If someone chooses to break the rule and try to get away with it, well, that, that happens every day. Um, but we have the rule in place for a reason, um, and, and we're, we're, we're going to ban this activity. So if, for, for those of you who have common areas, uh, the, com the pool areas, maybe in a condo, um, I would strongly recommend that you get rules in place that ban this type of activity in, in those areas. Um, for, for the reasons we've talked about. 
um, and, and, and the language I have on these on the last this this slide um, on banning the types of smoking or use or, or on the activity, um, you, you might consider beefing up your rules uh, to, to govern those those areas. Um, now, if your documents are silent on on the rulemaking, which I have seen that before, uh, there are ways that you can still create rules. Um, you want to talk to your attorney about that. There's something called the restatement of property uh, that allows um, associations to to create rules against certain activity on the common area. Um, but but talk to your attorney about that. So this this is not an exhaustive list. Um, obviously, this is uh, just some ideas that I thought of. Of, of what you might do, and, and it, it stems a lot from things that I've tried in other communities through through rules or or document revisions. Um, but the I, I think that the takeaway for this is is for as as board members especially is to like I said before take a look at your current situation and and review your documents and see what's missing, and then have that conversation with your attorney to to find hey we we are concerned about this law. What can we put in place in our documents, either through an amendment or through rulemaking, that that will properly address uh, these concerns? And, and yeah, you have a lot of options. Yeah. Kevin asks, what about the um, ADA, the American? Yeah. Yep. So let's. That's uh, you guys are very good here. Um, next slide, and this this will be the last topic. We got about ten minutes, and uh, that'll be plenty of time here to go through this. So one of the things that I thought of, and and this is because I've actually read some cases on this is uh you know with medical marijuana there, there was this concern about um fair housing i think the same is going to 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 apply with just regular marijuana use because for a lot of people it's going to be the same reasons they're using it and now they just don't have to worry about having a medical marijuana card um but i also think that it's going to be an opportunity for abuse just like unfortunately we see with with support animals where people claim that they need a dog or two dogs or a ferret or something because they can't live without it. And many people that's legitimate, but, uh, but I think all of us have probably come across that person that knows the rules and knows how to bend the rules a little bit. Now, as far as the ADA is concerned, um, we don't really have to worry too much about the ADA when we're talking about associations because we are not areas of public accommodation. We don't provide a public accommodation. Um, in most cases, most most of our communities are private for owner use only. Um, either the streets are private, but even with public streets, it's it's a it's a private community in the sense that there's a set of owners that are bound by your CCNRs, and it's only those people who own property in that community. So for 99% of the cases, the ADA is not an issue, but the fair housing laws are are basically mirror a lot of what the ADA says, and so. People throw out the word ADA a lot, but it's it's really the same analysis, and 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 you can't just blow it off because it. Well, someone might be saying ADA, the fair housing is going to jump in and, and take that place. So fair housing, I wanted to talk a little bit about why I think fair housing um, is a bit of a concern with this. Is um, as as you as you know, the fair housing protects certain classes of individuals, and it, it whether it's race, national origin. Um, there, there's a statute going through the, the house right now, or um, I don't know if it, I don't think it's been signed yet, but they're going to expand. I think they're, I don't, well, I should say, I'm not sure if it's still going through, but at one point it was introduced that would expand the classes of, of people that are protected. And I think they introduced sexual orientation and gender, um, maybe one other into this list of protected classes. The one that associations that we deal with the most would be disability. And, and that's why people throw out the ADA because we're dealing with disabilities. And, and under this law, disability is, is, is about as broadly defined as you can get, where it's you know, anything that's going to impact one of your major life activities is kind of my, my way of paraphrasing it. I bet almost every one of us on this call right now could think of something where we might be able to claim a disability under the Fair Housing Act. Um, I don't make light of it, it's just, that's just the way it's written is that uh, it's, it's very broad and can, and can encompass a lot of stuff. So many people, whether it's a sickness, um, which could be a disability, maybe it's a, a mental uh, concern uh, issue, um, and, and maybe they're prescribed marijuana as, as a remedy um, or, or a cure or, or a, 
um, you know, a prescription, a, a medicine for, for that condition. And fair housing laws don't really affect us unless we have a law or we have a restriction in place that prohibits certain activity. And they want to be able to do what would otherwise be a prohibited activity. And their, their basis for doing that is because they have a disability. That's where this comes up. So in your community, if you have an outright ban on smoking or, or a, a, a ban on smoking in certain areas, you might have a homeowner that comes up to you and say, hey, I'm disabled. I, I, my doctor says that I have to smoke this marijuana every day um, for my disability. You have to provide me with what's called a reasonable accommodation. Uh, you have to allow me an exception to the rule. Everyone else has to abide by it, but this individual gets an exception under the law. Now, when you get that request, first thing I tell all my clients is talk to your attorney because fair housing violations are, are very easy to, to, to they, they occur more frequently than you, than you know. And um, the attorney general's office loves to go after associations for this. I'm, I'm defending uh, an association in federal court right now over, over a fair housing violation claim. Um, it, it, it happens. So, but, but I wanted to go through just so you have a, a quick understanding of the analysis that, that goes into these decisions. And, and the decision being, does the board have to allow this person to smoke medical marijuana where they want to, or can we continue to restrict it against this owner? And um, the first one is, is there a disability? Now that's, that's a, a delicate situation. We can't ask too much from the owner. You might not really know that this person's disabled. So you can ask for a doctor's note that confirms that the person is disabled. Um, and, and that doctor's note is also going to need to make a connection. I, I put the word nexus, that's the legal word, a connection between the disability and the, and the, the activity that they're asking permission to, to participate in. Um, in this case, it would be smoking the marijuana. If they, if they pre pre present you with that, then the next analysis is you kind of establish the necessary aspect of it. That's the nexus. It, it is necessary for me to smoke marijuana for me to be able to enjoy my property. Um, the last analysis is whether the request is reasonable. Now, we, might, we may not think it's reasonable because we don't want marijuana in the community, but um, that's, that's not the analysis. The analysis is whether it it creates a financial hardship on the community or, or it's a fundamental alteration to your operation. Um, now there's two cases I wanted to mention here that, that actually went into this analysis that I found on medical marijuana and whether it's a reasonable accommodation, whether we have to provide that. There was a case out of Washington from, this is almost 15 years ago now, where a, a homeowner um, asked for, for a reasonable accommodation to, to be able to smoke marijuana. And the, the court denied their request on, um, I think it was on two issues here. One is, is that under federal law, as I mentioned in the beginning of this presentation, marijuana is still legal. And the fair housing is very clear that you do not have to provide an accommodation if it involves a legal activity. And so they said that the, the, the housing authority in this case was okay in rejecting it because it was, we're not going to, to force the housing authority to break federal law. Now, where this gets a little tricky in our situation now is state law says it's okay. And there is a state fair housing law as well as a federal. And so if someone brings a claim under the state fair housing laws, we may not have that argument that it's, that it's not reasonable. Not that it's not reasonable, but it's because it's, it's, uh, it's illegal. So the other case that I found out of Michigan, this is kind of an interesting one, um, it's a condominium association in Michigan where a homeowner was complaining about her neighbor smoking and it, it involves cigarettes and marijuana and, and a whole bunch of other smells and demanded that the association do something about it. That, you know, as, as, as I'm sure all of you have experienced one homeowner, like you guys aren't doing enough. You need to do this. You need to do that. I can't live here anymore. It's causing health problems to me. So the association, they tried. They, they actually went into her unit and installed a new ventilation system for her that would try to draw air from another part of the building. Uh, that didn't work. Um, so then she demanded that the association amend their CCNRs to prohibit smoking outright. And they tried. They actually, they actually sent out a ballot to all the owners to amend their documents and it failed. 
And so the owner sued the association and said, you're not doing enough. I need this accommodation. Um, and her accommodation was, you need to, to restrict what other people are doing for my own health benefits, which is kind of a creative, creative use of the fair housing laws. Um, but the, 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 the court, when, they, when looking at it, realized, look, this isn't a reasonable accommodation. You, we can't force the association to change its documents. There's still a procedure that they have to go through to amend their CCNRs, and it's not reasonable to impose that on the association. Um, and, and there were some other factors that, that went into the, into the analysis, but, but the takeaway was it, it's all about that reasonable. That would have been a fundamental change in their operation as an association. They would have had to change their CCNRs. So um, kind of the takeaway from fair housing is that don't be surprised when you get this request. I, I think they're coming if, if you haven't already experienced it. I haven't actually seen one involving medical marijuana yet, but, I, but I'm sure they're out there. And just be careful with, with if it is a, a, a request for an accommodation for smoking. Um, you might be able to, to limit it to certain locations. I mean, there might be ways around this. There, there could be creative solutions we could come up with in response to it. Um, but, but get your attorney involved if you do get one of these requests because they can be, uh, it can be a painful, expensive lesson if you, if you don't do it right because there can be some steep penalties for, for violating the, the fair housing laws. So. We do have a couple questions. Okay. Um, so going back to the common areas, um, Leslie had asked, it, since the common area is a public area, wouldn't that be covered by law enforcement? Meaning, could they just call the police if someone was using marijuana in the common areas out in public? No, because I don't think that the police are going to touch it because it is, it is still private property. It's still the association's property. They might. I mean, that's a good question. I, I don't. I don't know the exact answer to that. I think. I mean, you're you're as as property owned by the association, um, you could still regulate it. Now, the, one of the one thing that made me think of is open space. So going back to the law, this uh, the marijuana law, it does prohibit smoking in an open space, and that's defined as a public park, a public sidewalk, a public walkway, or public pedestrian thoroughfare. So. I don't think that common area is going to be, um, in most cases, would be deemed a public park um, because it's not open to everyone. Now, the sidewalk might be if they're smoking on the sidewalk. Um, so it's one of those things that I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to see what the cops do if you did call the cops and, and see what kind of response you'd get. Um, I, I'd love some follow up on that to see if that was actually effective. Um, but when, if you're dealing with your, with your common property, it, it more than likely is going to fall in the association to deal with. Okay. And Amber, and I believe you covered this already a little bit, but Amber was um, asking, what if someone is smoking in their own unit in a condo and the smells traveling through the vents? What stance yeah. does the association? Yeah, that, and that's and that's that's the that's the most common issue I think we're going to face as associations, and and probably the one that you don't have the best answer because some of this we've talked about with the the CCNRs and the rules, you may not be able to create rules that, that prohibit that type of activity. You may have to allow that activity to take place, but you do have this slide that we talked about, about a nuisance. Um, even if they're allowed to do it, does not mean that it's not a nuisance. So if, if you have enough homeowners complaining, if, it, if it's affecting these homeowners enough to where either they're going, you know, they've got to move out, they, they, they had to go to the hospital, um, there's probably a claim there that you could restrict the activity because it's a violation of the nuisance provisions of your documents. Um, if you don't have nuisance language, um, you, you, you could amend that as well, or you could amend the current nuisance language that you have to try to beef it up, but you have to be careful with amending that. You couldn't use kind of, kind of a backdoor restriction on the use of a unit. You'd have to be broad as to what, what a nuisance is, but I, I think whatever, if you have that language in there right now, you probably have enough to go on um, for that scenario uh, to, to try to get the activity to stop. But it's, but it's, there's no guarantees there and it, it could be a tough battle. Um, and, and part of it too is it becomes a, an owner to owner type issue. One of the cases that I shared with you was an owner who had to take her neighbor to court over the issue and it didn't have to do with the association. So um, 
that might be where it goes to. You might you might be able to only do so much as an association, and the, and the owner may have to take take the matter into their own hands. Ramiro wants to know if we can post signs at pools to restrict all types of smoking, including vaping, um, and then update the rule book, which takes longer to update and hand out to all owners. Well, I think the answer to, the, to that question is yes. If, if, you, if you have a rule that prohibits that activity, you could put signs up. Um, again, it goes back to what, what do your documents restrict? What, are they, what do they allow you to restrict? Um, and then you just take steps accordingly after that to, to, to make it known. Now, as far as updating your rules, um, if, if you revise your rules, you're gonna need to get a copy out to the owners um, ahead of time, just to make sure they're aware of it. Um, and I'm hoping that answers your question, Romero. And you can shoot me an email offline if you want to, but uh, and any other questions? Sorry if I skipped over some of that stuff. I, I get going sometimes and I, and I sometimes forget to say some of the stuff I want to say, but uh, really good questions. Um, like I said, the handout that I, I gave you um, has, should cover pretty much everything we talked about today. Um, if, if any of you have any questions after this call, um, email Terry or email me. I think I've got on the last slide here. Yeah, there's my email address. Uh, feel free to just send me an email. I'm happy to, to, to give you a quick response. Um, even if I don't represent your community, I'm happy to, to try to answer your question. And, uh, and then so for the CLE credits, if you're still on, I hope everyone's still on. Uh, I forgot to do that earlier. Uh, the last code is the color green. So the first code was 420, the second code is green. So for those of you who need CLE credit, please email those two words, or I guess the number in the words to Terry, and uh, she can get you your certificate for the class. 